Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome back to Headstrong Season 8. My name is Louis Strong and I am the host of this podcast. Now, if this is your first time listening, Headstrong is a podcast where I sit down with a number of well-known individuals and celebrities in the public eye to talk to them about their vulnerabilities and key moments in their lives that has shaped who they are. Now, this is the eighth series of Headstrong, and I am incredibly grateful to all of you who listen, so thank you so much. Joining me on episode two of season eight is the one and only Eddie Hearn. Now, Eddie is a world-famous boxing promoter, but he also spoke really poignantly about his own mental health and mental health in general, as well as those of professional sports people and indeed finding happiness in life. So I really, really hope you enjoy this episode of Headstrong. But first, a quick note from our sponsors, RCK Partners. RCK Partners specialise in helping UK businesses claim R&D tax relief across the engineering, agricultural and tech space. So if you'd like to find more about this valuable source of funding for your business, head to rck.partners or follow the link in the podcast description below. That is rck.partners. Now, I hope you enjoy the episode with Eddie. Eddie, thank you so much for joining me on Headstrong. How's it going? I'm good, mate. I'm really good. Busy, enjoying, well, I would say the sun, the sun, the warm, at least. And yeah, feeling good, mate. Feeling good. Well, I was going to ask, where are you right now? Because it is summer holidays, so whilst you are a busy man, there's still parental duties to fulfil. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in uh, the UK at the moment, sort of going back and trying to see the kids in the summer holidays for a, a week or a couple of days, more likely. And, uh, 
you know, I think um, our life and our families is kind of an understanding of, of the sacrifices that we make for the business. So I don't see the kids as much as I'd like to see. You know, I grew up with a dad that wasn't around a lot, but when he was there, I'd know about it. And, you know, I'd, he'd put the time and, and the care in for me. And, and he's kind of followed suit, really. You know, ever since my, my children were young, they've kind of know him for a week, out for a week, and, and, and vice versa. So do you think your, uh, kind of your holidays are fairly similar to what you remember then now for your kids? Yeah, it, it was always, you know, a case of... Uh, and my dad would come in like a tornado, you know, he'd be away mm. for two weeks. Sometimes, you know, I'm normally away for five days, six days, seven days. He would sometimes be away for two or three weeks if, for instance, the snooker was touring to Asia or something like that. And But when he would come back, it would be a, that same tornado, but a tornado of, of kind of love, you know, and, and time. Mm. Um, and I, I appreciate more now looking back because I know about the, you know, the, the workload and the, uh, you know, how the battery can be empty when you get home but you have to almost go through it and obviously give your time and your energy to your kids as well. That's one of the hardest things, you know, and I always remember that and I appreciate it a lot more now because mm. I remember he would come back from those long trips and as soon as he walked through the door, he'd be straight in the garden with me playing cricket or playing football and yeah. for a long time. And looking back now, I think, blimey, I think that's probably the last thing he really wanted to do, you know. So uh, it's the sacrifices you make. What about for you then? Do you find it difficult when you get home to switch off or can you easily differentiate between yeah, being a parent really, to working? Yeah, I never really switch off uh, the, the, is the truth. Um, you know, some may say it's, it's sad, you know, and some may say that it's just, it, it's built in you. You know, I, I have a passion for what I do. I love for what I do. I love what I do. So whilst I don't switch off, I don't sit there and think, oh, I can't switch off. Or the, the reality is I don't want to switch off. Mm. If I wanted to switch off, I would switch off. You know, some people say to me, well, what do you like to do, you know, outside of work? And I do find it very difficult to answer that question. Again, is that sad? Well, if you're doing something you love, not really. You know, it's, it's the thing that I love to do the most, not... You know, I like to go for a walk or, you know, go and have a, an afternoon in a pub, you know, and have a, I like those things, but I prefer to work. So it's, that's just the reality of the situation. And I think too many people overcomplicate things. Too many people are always searching for happiness, you know, do what you love, do what you enjoy. And that's what I enjoy. And I, I don't see anything wrong with that. You know, people will say, you know, even some close to me, you know, you, are you going to live your life like this forever? You know, while I enjoy it and while I want to do it, yeah, is the answer. Yeah, 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 for sure. Now before, I know this is a few years ago now, but before parenthood did arrive, did you have any apprehensions about it, um, you know, in terms of managing work and how much you'd be committed to it? I know that your lifestyle growing up will have helped you kind of prepare for that, but what was your thought process going into parenthood? Um, I think it was just, you know, a natural thing that that uh, life evolves into is, is to being a parent. You know, I think you never really think about the responsibilities because it's just a sort of natural progression of life. Again, 
you know, I, my, my dad, and he won't mind me saying it, my, and, and I think it's, it's a necessity for all successful people. My dad's very selfish. You know, he will do, of course, he loves his family and, and family is very important to us, but at the same time, he will do whatever he has to do or whatever it takes. And at the end of the day, you can't achieve anything without sacrifice. And sacrifice comes in so many different forms. You know, some people, it makes me laugh sometimes when you talk about, you know, oh, you know I've gone, I mean, recently I was in I don't know, Australia for three days, then I was in Saudi Arabia, then I was in San Antonio, Los Angeles, New York, and it was all in the space of sort of nine or 10 days. Yeah. And I was like, oh, and you get people, oh, well, yeah, you know, in business class. Yeah. It's like, mate, have you any idea, like, you know, when you're getting off planes, going straight into meetings all day, you're having dinner, you're going to try and sleep, you can't sleep, you get one and a half hours sleep, you get up, you're in business meetings in the morning. Like, it's a different kind of pressure. It's a different kind of workload. Mm. It's not going onto a building site at seven in the morning and leaving at five. That's hard too, right? But, but life involves sacrifice at all kinds of different levels. And our sacrifice is, is, is the workload and is the pressure. And, and that comes mentally, that comes physically. And, you know, we, we go through that because, again, it comes back to a love and a passion for what you do and a responsibility for, for, that I have and, and our family has to continue this legacy. So going into parenthood, it was just, you find a way. You know, it wasn't like, oh, let me just sit down. I mean, I'm not a psychoanalyst who sits down and starts going deeply into all these. I think it's a disaster. You know, I think overthinking is a, just generally a disaster. And if I started to go into it and you know, think about all this and what if that, what if, what if that, what if that, what if that happens, what if that, just, you know, it, it, was a, it was a natural thing for me to do and you find a way. But, you know, family is very important to us, but so is the business. But that's a really interesting mindset that you have then, because obviously this podcast is um, rooted in mental health. So how do you, how have you managed to adapt that mindset? Because you're at the top of this empire that you've inherited and now developed into your own. That's, you know, the global outreach is unreal. So how do you maintain that level of, I don't know, sanity and calmness at the top then? And, you know, thinking, oh, I can't worry about this or this. Or is it simply going, hang on, I don't, shouldn't waste energy overthinking on stuff. Yeah, I think priorities change. You know, I think, I think we often talk about, you know, obviously we're on a podcast now. I have my podcast as well with the BBC and we talk about success, you know, and I think it's a fascinating debate. I love to ask people all the time, what is your interpretation of success your definition of success and the answer is is that it's everybody has their own individual interpretation of success and i used to be a little bit naive as a, as a younger man to think that success comes in the form of money you know running a successful company um buying yourself a nice house and paying a mortgage off and maybe having a place abroad and, you know, these are all sort of things that don't really determine success because as you get older, you realise success actually is about happiness and it's, it's a feeling inside of fulfilment. And it's the ability to wake up in the morning with a smile on your face. That's success. But I never used to think like that at all. So mm. that changes your mindset a little bit. And I think in the early years... You know, I, I used to work for a sports marketing company and I was a sports agent 
um, representing golfers on the PGA Tour and European Tour. That was before I came in to work for Matrim. And it was the same then, you know, I was always the one that was up, you know, out till the early hours, up at four or five, driving up to Manchester to see a client and coming back and, you know, and it was, that that's a work ethic that's in me. I think that when you talk about mental health, I think everyone has their struggles, you know, everyone has their good days and bad days. Anxiety and depression, you know, I often think about this, you have to be a little bit careful because of the, you know, it, it's an easy out, right? Sure. It exists. Uh, there's no doubt. I have bad days. You know, have I ever been depressed? What is it? You know, what's the level? You know, if you're, if you're moping around and you, you have a bad day and you don't feel great within yourself, is that depressed? I don't know. Have I had days like that? Yes. Loads of them, you know. But I think it's, a, I say an easy out. I don't think people should be afraid to to get help and to talk but we also have to understand that bad days come and go and depression bad days it's always been around but it's been dealt with in different ways and and the ability to talk about it is is great you know and i think that's going to help a lot of people so for me i think as you get older that i, I never really used to be bothered about how i felt you know or how happy am I? It was just grind, hustle. You know, it was just like that's just get on with it. You know, and, and and I think it's funny. You know, as as the world evolves and generations evolve, the ability to accept mental health and depression changes. You know, my dad. If I went to my dad ten years ago and said, "Dad, I'm struggling a little bit. I think I've got," he would honestly just laugh. You know, he would say. What? what are you talking about? Get on with it. You're moping around. Get, you know, and but people people realise and people talk more and people talk about, you know, the the, the meaning of life and, and what life's all about. I mean, these are questions now that, that arise more than ever, especially coming off the back of the pandemic. I think people are now looking 100%. at their lives a little bit deeper and saying, well, am I happy? And I think that for me, that's, you know, what, what I have to be careful of is where does it end? What are you certain fulfillment of achievements and how do they make you feel? Because at the end of the day, if they make you feel empty, then what are you actually doing it for? You know, and that's probably, if, if I'm ever talking about my mental struggle, I would say that's maybe an area that I've struggled in in the past is fulfillment of goals. So, like, I'll give you an example. You know, when AJ boxed Klitschko at Wembley, you know, it was a record. We had 90,000. He unified the heavyweight division. I felt unbelievable. You know, I was in the ring going mad. But the feeling passed quite quickly. You know, it wasn't like now I'm sitting here going, I just can't believe that, you know, that moment. Oh, I'll never forget it. And it's just, you know, I remember it. And it, you know... I watch it back and with, with great joy. But as you get bigger and bigger, you search for more, you know, whether that's mm. bigger crowds, more territories, greater fights, global expansion, etc. So then you know, fast forward a couple of years and we're breaking the record in Texas at Dallas Cowboys for Canelo against Billy Joe Saunders. Again, looking around thinking, wow, you know, we've done it in America. But you just got to be a little bit careful because it's just, where does it end? Mm. You know, and it, it, it starts to become... You, you just have to reassess, reassess your goals 
in terms of that fulfillment and what gives you that feeling. Because that feeling, when we talk about the interpretation of success, that feeling can come from something minuscule. You know, it could come from watching my daughter play cricket or get into the Essex team. That could make me feel a million times happier than selling out Wembley Stadium, you know? But the old me might have said, no, no, listen, with all due respect to the cricket, we got to sell this place out. And when we do that, you know, we're going to be on top. We're going to do this. You know, so I just think it's like you just evolve and you change. So I think that's one thing that I've found. And, and that always when I talk to young, younger people, particularly young men, I always tell them in their 20s, you know, to young fighters, you don't realise how much you're going to change over the next 10, 20 years. Mm. Like the person you are now will actually, you, you won't recognise them in, in 15, 20 years. So, you know, live life in the moment. But, but you have to evolve with your mind and your feelings. So what was right then doesn't mean it was wrong then. But it was just right then. It might not be right now, but that's okay. You know, you, you, have to, you have to live in the moment and you have to do things that give you fulfillment now, not that give the old you fulfillment. So if we touch briefly on lockdown, was that an experience for you to reevaluate your kind of process then and thought process? Or did that slow things down or not at all? It was good. You know, it was, it was weird because I've gone from traveling every week to a million miles an hour to really being at home for two, three months. I mean, we, you know, we, we were very active during the pandemic in terms of, in terms of behind closed door events, Mm. but it was nothing like what I was used to. Yeah. And I was at home a lot, you know, I was walking with the kids every morning with the dogs and like, you know, it was, I enjoyed it. You know, I think, um, it, you know, the pandemic changed a lot of things. I mean, it, it restructured a lot of businesses. It changed the way, changed the working environment, you know, for sure. I think it changed the mindset of people. I think people obviously want to enjoy themselves a lot more now, travel a lot more. You know, you realise, I think the one thing that I've kind of, you know, I was actually thinking this probably an hour ago when I was in the gym was you realise that you're on a little bit of borrowed time, you know, and, and that probably mm. happens as, as you get a li- little bit older. I mean, I'm 43, you know, and I don't want to speak too dourly and I hope that there's plenty of time, but how much time, you know? And I think when you're in your 20s and your 30s, you never think, oh, well, I'm cool. you know. And, you know, I talk to my dad sometimes. My dad's 74. I think there's probably no one on the planet that has lived a fuller life. And, you know, the ability when the walls are closing in and your time is about to evaporate to look at your life and say, wow, what a life, Mm. you know, that's a, that, that's a feeling you can't underestimate. And I think that's something we should think about a little bit more is, is, is that moment when you might be told your time's up or, you know, your time's up and you can look at yourself in the mirror and say, wow, I couldn't have done any more. How many people can really say that? I mean, I, I don't think, you know, now, if unfortunately that happened, I could, you know, I've had a great life and I've done so much, but he's one of those guys where genuinely he could say, I've got, like, you know, he lives every day to the absolute fullest. And, you know, I was chatting to him the other day, we were driving back from fishing. He was like, 
he was he, he's played some cricket and I think he's torn his shoulder and his hamstring and he was feeling sorry for himself and it was just like how long have I got you know yeah. and when you start thinking like that it's like it just makes you get more I think out of your life because I never really thought like that and just lately I'm sort of thinking to myself okay listen I hope I've got another 40 or 50 years but you, do, you know you really got to be that guy or girl that when all is said and done Again, sorry to go down this level, but you slip away peacefully to say, what a life, what a life. And that's, that's a very difficult thing to do. I don't think many people have that feeling. You'll have regrets. You'll always could have done something differently, but generally to be at peace at that moment and say, thank you. I'll see you on the other side. That was, that was, a, that was a, what a ride. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, it's a it's a hell of a thought process. Um, and also, I love that your dad's still steaming in at seventy four. Oh, I know <laughs> quality. But he he plays for Essex over seventies, right? That's and quality. He's like, he injures himself every game. It takes him like three weeks to recover from every game. But he won't give in. I think I think when you get to that age, you've had such an active life. You've got such an active mind. Yeah, sure. Slow that down. I think you you know you do evaporate. Like I said, or you you know you 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 deteriorate very quickly, you know. So although he's officially stepped down within the business, he's still chairman, president, and, you know, I want him involved because I want his mind active and he's very, mm. very smart. And um, it's his life at the end of the day. So why would you, you know, I, I go back to enjoyment and fulfilment. If I said to him, what in this world gives you the most fulfilment, his top three would be working, you know, and the events and, the, you know, the business, what so you know why, why would you look to to step down or step away and lose that from your life if you're looking to take advantage of r&d tax credits to boost your business's cash flow rck partners can help you simply head to rck.partners or follow the link in the podcast description below that's rck.partners now Back to the episode. So let's go then from yours and your father's mindset and let's have a look at some of the players that you look after, not players, sorry, athletes that you look after and talk to constantly. And I just am interested to know, obviously I don't want to know names or anything, but what's that relationship like in terms of availability of coming forward and talking about mental health if there's ever been that case because i know tony bell you've talked about it before yeah, I but i didn't know what that's like in boxing it depends how close you are you know relationships is is key to sort of unlocking someone's emotions and, and mind and, and and think think thought process um boxing's got a stigma isn't it of mm. strong and you know, there was a fighter at the weekend actually danny garcia who in his ring his interview in the ring after said I had time out because I've been struggling from anxiety and depression. And everyone sort of went, really? Like you, that, you know, Ryan Garcia, another very well-known fighter came out, took a year off because of mental health, you know? So it's good to see fighters talking about that. And people don't understand, you know, when we talk about, go back to the different types of struggle and different types of pressure. Now, have you got any idea what it's like to live the life of Anthony Joshua? Yeah, literally. Right? People go, yeah, I have. Oh, well, two-time world heavyweight champion. He's got 100 million. You know, he's got five houses. He's got... It doesn't... It does not matter. He lives in a 
a, a minute bubble, right? Where everybody in the world or everybody in this country knows who he is, wants his time, wants to talk to him, wants a photo. What like he can't he can't live a normal life. If you think a normal life is sitting in a seven or eight bedroom mansion, you know, and not really wanting to go out or able to go out, but sort of just kick around in the house and get a few friends over. No, there is nothing he would want more than to be able to go to the park and have a kick around with his mates, right? Or just pop out somewhere and have a coffee or go and have a game on the PlayStation around his old mate's house on the estate. So that's the sacrifices that come with that, you know? And I think when you, when you lose particularly, that's when I talk about the walls closing in that that's when that happens. You know, people start disappearing from the circle, you know, that the fulfillment you get from winning. And you actually realize is actually not the world you ever wanted to live in becomes magnified. And you start to realize what the fuck am I doing? You know, you chase this because you wanted to achieve, you wanted success, you wanted to make something of your life. But now that you're there and you've got it, is it everything that it's cracked up to be? And, and that's very prominent in a lot of careers and in a lot of, you know, you always ask yourself, you know, when you get there, is this, does this fulfill me? Is this really what I've always wanted? I mean, going back to my podcast, like, Adam Peaty, Adam the swimmer, right? Mm, great guy. Like, just brutal, like, selfish, like, unbelievably selfish, mm. you know. But quite rightly so. You know, that's just what is required. But, you know, he would talk about having a newborn son and literally he'd come home from training and he would say to the missus, like, get him away from me. I need to go into my room now and just rest for two hours and come back out and go to... Like, these are you have to be a certain type of individual and i think fighters particularly don't come from that background of like preparing for what's coming you know no no fighter really knows you come off an estate you come from you know a, a very very humble beginnings and all of a sudden you're in this world and you're getting everything for free and everyone knows who you are don't get me wrong early on I mean, when AJ won the Olympics and started out his pro career, I'm sure he was like, I can't believe this. I've got a free car here. This guy wants to give me clothes, you know, attention off every... And then as it goes on, it just drags you and, you know, and, and it's, not, it's not a great life, but it's... It's, like, it's, like, the, it's just, like you're being used, isn't it? It is, but it's like there's no escape. Mm. I mean... Relentless. Divide that by a thousand, and that's me. Yeah. Right, in terms of, like, fame. Yeah, so, sure. I go to the coffee shop, everyone's looking at me, right? Some people want a photo, some yeah. people want to talk about Tyson Fury against AJ, <laughs> other people want to talk about Jake Paul, like, but that's everywhere, you know, that's in a restaurant and that's my job. At the end of the day, my job is to engage with the public and I don't, you know, I don't sit there and go, oh, I can't take it anymore. But, you know, you'd be driving down the motorway, you look one way, there's a guy filming you, you look the other way, there's another guy filming you. And that's me, like that, I'm, like I said, I'm a thousandth in terms of the profile of Anthony Joshua. Mm. So magnify that intensity yeah. of not like, and that, that's, I think in terms of mental health, that's a massive struggle because there is no escape. 
Like sometimes if I go on holiday, you know, there's a place that I go to the Caribbean where actually no one knows me, right? And it's really nice, like just to have a week. And you, you forget yeah. about it sometimes just with the kids. You know, I went to Thorpe Park the other day. Jesus. I mean, again, this is me. Like you think Anthony Joshua could go to Thorpe Park or like just a, just a little day out with his kids. Like, and again, no one's going to feel sorry for him because they just see the upside. They see the money, they see the houses, they see the cars, they see the belts. But I don't think people sometimes realise, and this goes back to everyone's struggles. It doesn't matter whether you're getting up at six in the morning, doing your run, sparring in the afternoon, strength and conditioning, living in that small bubble, or you haven't got a job, or you're on the breadline, or you're on a building site, or you're a teacher, or like, we just have to realise that it doesn't really matter what you've got. The, what goes on in here is very complicated and everyone can have problems with what goes in here regardless of your level of success and actually there is an argument that the simpler life means there's less problems in here mm. you know but everyone's different so looking at the 20th of August, which is fast approaching, talking about that then with AJ, is there something internally in the camp then where they actively work on mindset? Because I know that in the ring, you've got to be resilient and tough. But as you say, you don't want to have any of these worries and issues outside of the ring. So is there something that they kind of work on internally? Yeah, he's, he's worked with a lot of mind coaches, you know, and I think it's about, look, boxing and sport is all about execution in the moment. You know, it... it so it doesn't matter how the training camp's gone. If you don't perform in that moment, I always think about, I was thinking about it the other day, watching the World Championships and now the Commonwealth Games. <clears throat> I find racing quite fascinating. You know, mm. like I was watching a swimming the other day. Like you can go through months and years of preparation, but when you stand on those blocks, one minuscule mis mistake at that level Will cost you the race or cost you the medal and it's the greats like Usain Bolt like Michael Jordan you know uh, sorry uh, Michael Johnson and Michael Jordan mm. but who can execute it within that moment you know and they're, they're the, the special ones if you like some people can just get it right not randomly but on a day on a night where they're just too good for everyone else but those guys consistently Tiger Woods you know people that can consistently perform at that level so when you talk about Anthony Joshua, it's all the sort of one percenters that can prepare for that moment. If he gets it wrong on the night, you lose anyway. And that was the same with Usyk in the first fight. But it's the preparation and mindset of being prepared for battle that night, for training, understanding what you have to do, what you have to go through. It's, it's, a, it's a smaller part, I feel, the mental preparation of yeah, a fight sure. because it's about that moment. It's about when the bell rings. So if you've done the work, if you're ready, if you're prepared, if the strategy's right, you should be able to go in and execute it. So, you know, he, he will always work on his mind. And he's, he's more like a, a sharp mind guy. You know, he'll play little games, you know, mind training and stuff like that. And Usyk's the same, actually, you know, with his numbers and his patterns and all this kind of stuff. So he's just, he's just an all-round kind of... Uh, healthy living guy that, that likes to be in a good mindset. But what change, fighting's very different to other sports. You know, it's, it's a, a really bizarre sport in that you have to go into a ring and fight another man in front of the whole world. 
Mm-hmm. It doesn't make any sense. So what changes is more like the individual that you are now versus the individual you were when you started or when you became great. And what I mean by that is you have to have a killer mindset, you know, and when you get what you always dreamed of, are you still that same animal? Now, Marvin Hagler always used to say, it's very difficult to get up and do your runs when you're wearing silk pajamas, right? And that's such a great line because how bad do you want it? Now, and that, again, that goes back to the greats. Canelo Alvarez has more money. Canelo Alvarez used to sell ice pops on the street of Guadalajara, right? He now has hundreds and hundreds of millions. Ferraris, Bugattis, mansions everywhere. Everything he always dreamed of when he was selling popsicles. So when you get it, how bad do you want it? Are you still that same kid that would have run for a wall? to get it, you know? And that's what you can never underestimate about fighters because, and that comes down to sport, competition, winning. Like AJ wants to win more than ever, but is he that same kid from the estate that had nothing? And that's very difficult to do. Only the special ones can keep that mentality. Yeah. Because if I, if it was me, I'd be off. You know, fighting, no thanks. What, you want me to go in there and have a fight with another man, get my head punched in when I've got all of this and I don't need to do it anymore. But it comes back to passion, a love for what you do and, you know, doing doing what, what makes you feel great and good. So let's look at media then, because this is something that, Obviously, you are, you're heavily involved in terms of the media and lots of stuff comes out, particularly when I look at stuff like No Context Hurt, mm-hmm. which is, I want to tell you a couple of facts. So on TikTok, there's over 60.8 million views on, of the hashtag No Context Hurt. The Twitter page itself has over 350,000 followers. And it's all just like outtakes, as you know, yeah. of stuff that you've said. What do you think about that kind of stuff? Like, is that mind-blowing to you? Is it like, it's, it's classic? The guy works for the NHS, well, probably not anymore, a guy called Andy reached out. Everyone thought orig- originally it was, it was me doing this <laughs> site, which actually, like, it would have been an incredible move. And um, so a guy called Andy who worked for the NHS just, just DM'd me one day and said, look, do you mind if I do it? And I was like, who's going to be interested in that? Next thing, it's everywhere. And it, it just kind of brought me to a different audience, I guess. Mm. Like, when people stop me now, I go back to that thing, a lot of those kids who are stopping me have seen me on those 60.8 million, you know, views on TikTok because my TikTok, oh, you know, and I look on a, a feed, on my daughter's feed, and I will be there all the time, you know, like, and I'm thinking, so I think to be honest with you, like the worst thing you can ever do is take yourself too seriously. Mm. So I don't, the, the reality is I don't really care. You know, some of them are funny, some of them embarrassing, but I just don't, you know, again, as you get older, you care less. So like maybe when I was younger, I mean, I did a shoot the other day for GQ, right? They put me in some terrible, terrible gear, right? And I got the photos and I was like, oh no. And I was just looking at my phone, waiting for the WhatsApp group to pop up with my mate to have seen it, just going, and true, true. An hour later, ping, my mate's just, like, 
what is this? What is this? What is this? And probably 10 or 15, certainly 20 years ago, like I would have actually thought, oh, God, people have seen this. I look terrible. I just don't, like, you care less and less and less as you get older, you know? And I think if you can maintain that mindset of, of life in general, I think you enjoy it a lot more. Yeah, you know? definitely. So there's nothing really like, and people will stop me all the time in the street going, do that one, you know, no, do it. oh, go on then. Oh, God. And I'm like, oh, you know, like, you know, and I just, but you just got to laugh, really. You got to laugh and you got to go with it. And it's been good. It's been good for me. I can't lie. You know, it's, it's, it's opened me up to a different audience. And my aim is to bring that audience into our business and into sports, whether that's boxing, particularly for me, whether that's darts, snooker, whatever it may be. You know, if you want to follow Eddie Hearn, hopefully you also follow Matram. You understand mm. what I do. You, you listen to me. You listen to these podcasts. And it's just, it's been different. But, you know, I don't know, you know, the BBC podcasts, TV shows. Would they, would I have been doing those without no context? Huh? Maybe not. You know, just as a boxing promoter, you've never really seen a boxing promoter do that kind of stuff before. So it's probably been, you know, and, and when I do go on those shows, we talk about it. They play clips, and it's almost like performing seal. You know, you'd be on those shows, and it'll be like, oh, yeah. yeah. But that's just like, like I'm, I'm easy with that because I'm not a genius, right? So, however you get there, at whatever makes it work, we have to find a way, and we find a way to be creative, to hustle, to be smart, and that's been a something that's sort of unintentionally worked very well. So are you aware of your power to influence then kind of in that public spotlight? Because you, you talk about these small interactions with somebody and I know to you, you you've probably had hundreds of thousands, mm. you know, but to them, that's a really special moment potentially. So those 10, 20 seconds to them could be yeah. a big deal. It's weird because again, people don't, wouldn't expect this, but I'm my own biggest critic. Mm. Right? I know people think that I'm very flash and a little bit arrogant and like super cocky and confident. And I am, I am confident because I believe that I'm good at what I do, but I'm also my own biggest critic. And, and I don't struggle to come to terms with people DMing me and reading my book and saying, you're a massive inspiration to me, etc. But I, I had a head start. Do you know what I mean? Like there's the, mm. and people, the haters or whatever you want to call them, will always say, well, he had his dad, he had back. Yeah, and listen, I've taken the business to levels he could never have done or could never have dreamed of. But I still had a head start. Like, it's not like my achievements could never mirror his achievements, in my opinion, because he came from a council estate in Dagnan and he built an empire from the rubble. What I did was I came in with a solid, you know, national business and took it global and I think I've done a great job but I think sometimes you, you underestimate I say this to my fighters quite a lot it's quite amazing that one conversation can change the direction of someone's life mm. for, for certain people and listen if I can do that, that that's a blessing and an honour I don't necessarily feel like I have I guess what I'm saying is I don't necessarily feel like I have the right or should have the ability to change someone's life or mindset you know and if i can i should use that because that is 
a blessing. But I say to my fighters all the time, wow, amazing that you can go into a gym and talk to a young fighter or like, and, and I, because I've got kids, I know Katie, you know, Katie Taylor, who they've met, I'm desperate for them to spend time with her because her mindset and her discipline and her work ethic is everything I'd want them to have, you know? And sometimes people have lost direction, lost focus, and just one conversation with someone can change their life forever. So, yeah, I don't think that me doing a no-context Hearn impersonation for someone on a train is necessarily going to remold their life, but I do get a lot of people write to me and say, I've read your book, you know, I'm struggling at the moment, this has really helped, this, this, this. Mm. And it, it's, 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 it's not weird for me, but I don't necessarily feel like I've achieved enough to be in that position, if I'm honest. But again, at the same time, I am my own biggest critic. Like I don't, yeah. I feel like I've achieved 20% of where I could and will and should be. So, well, that's interesting. Cause I was going to talk to you about your empire and we talk about, the world that you live in and all the fights that get put on and how successful a father you are. And I know how much you loved cricket and I didn't know if you'd ever thought about that. I was thinking about the kind of the franchise world of cricket and how much that's expanded in the last kind of five, 10 years. You look at the IPL, the Pakistan 20 league, big bash and all the, all the money that's going on in cricket. Is that something that you'd ever consider touching on or is there just no time for it? I think I, it's mad because I played cricket from probably the age of like 10 or 11 and I played for Essex for under 11s up to about under 16, 17s. Yeah, and you love it. Yeah, kind of got to like, could he play second 11 cricket for Essex? Maybe. It was never good enough to get like in a first team or anything like that professionally. But I was obsessed with the game. Like I, I would like play, practice non-stop. I would, I remember, I mean, I'm, we work in the house that I grew up in, which is this house. And I would sit just over there with my bat and I would oil it every night and I would knock it in, you know. And, and just, I think, as I became a little bit older, as, as sort of a social life started to appear, I kind of fell out of love a little bit with cricket. And my dad didn't. He, he still, to this day, just absolutely <laughs> loves playing. And I... I, I I do and I don't. You know, I love watching my kids play cricket and they're both very talented. Like girls, I have two daughters. Girls cricket now is just it's great. Boom. What a world to it's be in. It's amazing to watch. You know, it really is because I went to watch them the other day and I was like, you know, Isabella, I'm oldest, she's 12. And I thought, you're actually better than me when I was 12. You know, and the standards, awesome. standards really good. Yeah. Um, so, you know, cricket's changed a lot. I just think a lot of sports have evolved in terms of the viewer experience and the, the pace. Like, we live in a very fast-paced world where attention spans are diminishing every second. I mean, I'm the worst. Like, I'll be in a conversation and I will just go... Yeah, 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 yeah. ...look at my phone and someone will say, hello. I'll be 20 like, emails what, through. What? Yeah, I know, but what, it's terrible, really, but... That, that's just a sign of the world we live in today. But that's the same for the viewer experience. I mean, now we look at streaming and we look at apps and we look at, you know, watching on your device. This is the future of broadcast. Um, and cricket has adapted to that, really. I mean, 2020 was a game changer for cricket. Yeah, the 100th. Test match cricket was dying to the, to the, the 
the you know all these new millennials and Gen Z, what they want to call them now, you know, these these new, but they, yeah. they, they want fast paced sport and cricket. I think cricket's adapted well, actually. I think, and, and I, I really get a buzz. You know, when we're talking about fulfillment and happiness, on Fridays, my girls go over to Billericay Cricket Club and it's like a free throw. I mean, I can't tell you how many kids are playing cricket. Like, that's hundreds great. everywhere. Girls under nines, girls under 11s, girls under 13s, boys. Like, and I went up, yeah, you know, I was in the net. And I was helping with the coaching with some of the, the, the boys. And I absolutely, I mean, that gave me more fulfillment than probably the last month of work, you know. And I sort of left there going, wow, now, I'm not sure I'll end up being a cricket coach, but that, that's, just, <laughs> that's just a good example of, you know, it doesn't have to be like, you, you, you've always got, like, sport has been my absolute life. Yeah. And it still is. But now it's sport business. Mm. You must always remember the foundations of sport. And for us, sports now, it, they are dominated by money, right? And, and that's just life. But you've always got to try and just keep the pureness of the sport in some respect. And that's the difficulty when you're producing formats. You know, when we when I wanted to change the face of boxing, we brought in Prize Fighter, which was a quick format, quarterfinals, semi-finals, finals on one night. The, the traditional boxing fan couldn't have hated it more. Yeah, you know, sure. The traditional cricket fan couldn't have hated 2020 more. Might have saved the sport, actually. You know? So it's difficult sometimes to, to commercially get it right and not to bastardize it and, and try and maintain the integrity of the sport. So looking as well at the kind of the way that you manage things, would you ever go into the world of NFTs? We have. I mean, NFTs, I, I'm, I'm still... I, to be honest with you, I actually don't have a scooby-doo what it is. Yeah, I don't get it. Uh, Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Non-fungible tokens. I mean, it's yeah. like, you know, it's, it's... Think player cards, but in a digital format, which I, is I, like... I still don't understand that, though. I know. Because I, 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 I couldn't see the physical, you know? Yes. I'm... I mean, this is for the new generation, again. I know you're younger mm. than me, but... I'm still not sold or convinced, but they definitely exist and, and mm. some have made a lot of money out of them. And, and I just think it's a sign of the way that we're going. You know, we live in a digital world. We live in a world where um, just some things, I mean, again, cryptocurrency, you know, yeah, in that yeah. world, my friends spend all the whole day trading cryptocurrency, you know, and I'll be in a WhatsApp group. Oh, I've seen this one up today, this one down to that, you know, one that, oh, I can't believe it. Look at, look at this. Wow, we're flying, you know, five days later. Oh, my God, have you seen it? And I'm like, yeah. not for me. You know, why, why do I want to go through all those emotions that you're going through right now for something I can't even control? <laughs> you know, like, so, yeah, it's, it's a mad world. Well, it's interesting. We talk about that digital expansion then, and I know you touched on it, and it's what people talk to you about loads, but the world of YouTube and YouTubers coming in and, as you say, talking about the development of formats and you see uh, these YouTubers, amateurs, trying to go pro as well uh, in terms of boxing. Yes or no, has it been good for the sport? I think it has. You know, I've done a couple of them. I mean, it's not my cup of tea, and I don't think I'll be doing many more again, but it brings in a whole new audience. I mean, when I did the mm. KSI Logan Paul fight, which Madness. was watched by millions worldwide, I could see from, you know, from the first press conference to the end of that fight, 
I would turn up at my daughter's school and every kid would know who I was. Like, and not because of Anthony Joshua, which, you know, some would have before. Everyone knew that I was promoting KSI and Logan Paul. Mm. And, you know, we did the first press conference for that fight. It got something like two million live stream for the press conference. Like a normal press conference, like an AJ press conference might do 100,000. You know, two million people watching this press conference live. And I was like, wow. Now, can you convert those people? And this is always the argument of a, a fight fan which is, yeah, but are they going to become fight fans? Are they going to stay in the sport? Well, that's your job. Now, once you bring them into the sport, and, and I tried to amalgamate the KSI Logan Paul fight of some world championship professional boxing on the undercard because I wanted to show that audience what real boxing was. You have to educate them when you bring them. It's a bit like mm. 2020 cricket. Yeah. If you're bringing those new fans in, you really want to teach them about test match. You, you, want, to, you want them to become cricket fans and then love test match cricket. And that's what I tried to do with Prize Fighter. Bring these people into boxing. And once you're there, you know, after five or six years, we got rid of Prize Fighter and just went back to traditional Saturday night world championship boxing. Because those people have come in, fell in love with the sport, not all of them, learned about the sport and wanted to see real boxing. And that's the same with cricket. You know, people come in for the 100 or they come in for 2020, they start playing, they join their local club or they watch more cricket. They want to watch the Ashes. They want to watch test match cricket. They want to watch the longer format. But you have to bring new blood and new audience into the sport. And doing that through YouTube, I, I don't see the downside of that. So when I look at, when you're trying to facilitate matches and stuff, and I'm looking at notably two people who are rather active on social media, the likes of um, Thur um, Jake Paul and, of course, Tyson Fury, who are active on their social medias. And they say stuff, and, you know, when Tyson Fury goes, oh, I don't want uh, to anyone to make a single pound out of this. Yeah. And then also you look at Jake Paul going, oh, Tommy Fury didn't get into the country. Now, uh, you know, the fight's not happening because of him. How much of that is waffle? and just to get behind the head of the other person and how much of it is kind of like based on legitimate kind Tyson of emails. Different. Yeah, everyone's different. You know, Tyson Fury is a genius of getting people to believe what he says, but if you yeah. actually analyse what he's saying, it, none of it makes sense. Jake Paul's very bright, you know, mm. very bright. And, and that, was, that was a situation where Tommy Fury genuinely couldn't get into the country. So... Social media is amazing because you have the ability to go on switch on in front of a huge audience yeah. and talk to them and tell them what you want. I mean, I could go live now on Instagram. I've got 1.2 million followers and just say, well, actually, I've just spoke to Tyson Fury and he's, he's told me he don't want to fight Anthony Joshua because he thinks he's going to get knocked out. And he would come on and go, I never even called you. What's going on? <laughs> like, it's just, it's like, and, and you think, again, magnify my audience by 10 and you've got Jake Paul's audience. So it's just, you know, it's a different world. My dad always says, you know, you're lucky because when I used to sell a fight, we would put posters up outside the local underground station to try and make people aware. You can go and just interact with over that. a million fight fans. I said, well, we, I built that audience at the same time. But he said, yeah, but you know what I don't like? He said, when I used to do a show, I used to go, that was a good show. And I used to go for a curry and go home you finish and you've got a million people telling you if it was good or bad. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. there's no escape. You want to go home and go, that was great. You imagine those days. You finish and you go, that was great. And you drive home, get something to eat, 
Now, I'm like this till five in the morning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what's he saying? What's he saying? You know? But that's, that's oh, what's Billy from Blackpool said exactly. today? <laughs> and, and then, but over time, you realise, I remember, I remember speaking to Wayne Rooney on, on my podcast and said to him, how do you deal I've, I've read your Twitter, like some of the comments are out there. Yeah, How Jesus. do you deal with it? And the comments on Daily Mail, his articles, like. But he went, well, obviously I don't read them. I went, what, what, never? He went, no. Why would I read them? And I just thought to myself, oh, blimey. I've been reading them for years. You know, <laughs> that, that, that was really the moment I stopped reading them, really. I mean, I'll have a, I'll have a scroll through. But why? Why yeah. would you want to infiltrate your mind with... You know, and I, I, I can't say people are irrelevant or the, the, the opinion's irrelevant because they're my customer. So it's a bit, it's a bit different for me. Mm. But when you're working so hard to achieve something and you have dreams and goals and aspirations, why on earth would you let someone that has no relevance to that or could never dream as big as you dream or could never do the things that you do have a negative effect on that process? It's, it's bizarre. And I worry for the next generation. I worry for, for my kids. You know, I look yeah. at their comments. I mean, someone, you know, she'll, one of them might post a picture and it's like, oh, you look this or you look that or you think you're that. Or, yeah, it's like, what a world. You know, we might, when we were young, I guess someone might have said something in the playground or something or whatever. But it's like those kids have to read that and then go to sleep with that on their mind. Like, it's not, that's not the right way that, that the younger generation should be brought up. But also, there's no escape. So they've got to learn, they've got to be taught. And that comes from the foundations of, like, you know, parenting and, and the values of life. So when that kind of video came out of Tyson Fury doing that, and of course, AJ will be finding this out pretty damn swiftly. But mm. is that, you know, because he's obviously focused on his next fight. Yes, he needs to think about longevity in future. But I mean, this chat's been going on for years, whether it's going to happen or not. Is that even still talked about with you guys? Do you really. bring I mean, it up? I think with Fury, it's like, oh, another one. But of course, you know, everyone's got ego, everyone's got pride, and they're fighters. Again, so for me, all I'm thinking about is what I'm going to say in the next interview. AJ's yeah. thinking about, I want to take his head off because they're different mentalities mm. you know so when you disrespect someone or you, you you know you you question someone's ego or you know pride then they react you know these guys are like caged lions a lot of the time um but you know you have to also be big enough and thick skin enough boxing's like it's not a very nice business at all mm. and you have to have the ability i mean i could go on and there could be four or five Fighters, promoters, fans, celebrities, whatever, with massive audiences slagging me off. It's happened. I mean, it happens all the time. Tyson yeah. Fury, Jake Paul. Like, and actually, again, it's just that life's about putting yourself in experiences time and time again. And all you experience will become at dealing with it and the less it will bother you. So, like, if 10 years ago, Jake Paul came out and went, Eddie Hearn's a joke, he's this, he's that, he's this, he's that, and I'm looking at his followers seeing 15 million followers or whatever, you know, and I'm, I'm just going... Now, literally, I go, like, like, and then on you go. But it never used to be like that. You know, I remember saying to Steve Davis, the snooker player, my godfather, I said, do you ever get nervous, you know, when you're, like, over that long red in the final of the World Championships? And he's like, no, nah, not anymore. He said, oh, when I first got in that, that first final, he goes, I was shaking like a leaf. He said, but, 
you know, you put yourself in that position time and time again. It's just, just, it's just like memory recall. It's like training. You know, these athletes, they train, they train, they put themselves in that, that position, they put themselves in that physical moment so that when you need to execute, it's just, it's natural. And that's the same. When my first press conference I ever did, I had to sit on my hands because I was shaking so much. Now, I, don't, I, ne- I never have notes. You know, you could say to me now, you've got a press conference in 10 seconds about this show that I, that I know hardly anything about. I go, okay, bang, Done. half an hour, just talk. But, but that's just because I've done a thousand of them, you know? So now let's go. I've got two final questions then as we wind down. We talked about that kind of ever-extending kind of goal and target and not sure what it is. What are your targets? What are your goals personally for kind of the future? I think personally, you know, it goes back to what we said earlier about feeling good and, and mm. having that feeling of fulfilment. So a now, few more cricket nets then, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, maybe. But then, <laughs> but then the answer is, when we talk about the feeling of fulfilment, what gives you fulfilment? Okay, so that, that again goes back to feeling good, feeling motivated. You know, sometimes you get a run where the pups don't drop and nothing's going your way and you're tired and you start going through that sort of why am I doing this and actually am I enjoying it anymore? And then all of a sudden you fly out to Saudi Arabia and watch Anthony Joshua beat Alexander Usyk, Touchwood, and then a couple of weeks later you fly to Las Vegas to see and promote Canelo Alvarez against Triple G3. And you think, like, this is why I'm in the game. You know, I like, mm. I like developing young fighters. I like seeing young fighters go on in a tree, achieve their dreams, create legacy, secure their financial future. Um, I want to, you know, my aim is to take this business to levels that were never expected. And that's ultimately to float this company, to continue the global expansion. Um, and that's probably the, the target for the next three to five years. Um, but also doing what makes me happy, you know, whether that's making sure I spend more time with the kids, whether that's why I do a few nets, whether that's why I travel more, see more places. It's just the feeling when you wake up, Mm. you know, when the sun's shining outside and you wake up and you go down, you have a little coffee before work. For me, it might be squeeze a little run in or, you know, I'm doing these ice baths at the moment. You know, I Wim Hof on my podcast, a, a game changer, right? And I turn up here in my desk here and I go, wow, yeah, that's success, right? That's how my mindset's changed over the years. Whereas if you'd asked me at 10 years, what, you've been for a run and you've had an ice bath and you're sitting at a desk thinking that's success. Yeah, it is. Do you know why? Because I feel alive. You know, I'm ready for the day. What you got for me? Let's smash it. Like that, that's, that, that's success. That's fulfillment versus, oh, what we got here, I shouldn't, you know, I feel hard, too much to drink last night, I just feel, oh, I can't be asked. Like, that's not. So, things change. And if you've got that mindset, if you're feeling that way, surely you're going to achieve more. You're going to be more successful. You have more energy, more zest. You know, you can, you can work harder, you can work faster, you can think sharper. So, like, well-being mm. is very important to me these days. And when you get to my age, you start to think, actually prioritize us want to live really as long as i can here so you know but but just feeling good and, and that's my, my aim for the next 5 10 20 40 years is to feel good to feel full of energy 
have a passion for what I do and whatever that could be. It doesn't have to just be boxing. That this could, we could diversify into all sorts here. But as long as it makes me feel good, as long as it gives me a spring in my step, you know, and energy is important. People's energy is important. We talk about those great athletes. Yeah, Being around them is a blessing for me. Like being around AJ, Canelo, Katie Taylor. Like, trust me, you ain't going to feel sorry for yourself. Like, you, you will leave those conversations going, that's unbelievable. You know, I just, I'm ready. I feel energized. And that, that feeling, you can't buy that feeling. So my final question that I ask every guest is, what does the word headstrong mean to you? And are you headstrong? Yeah, I'm headstrong because I think I'm... Listen, you've got to be cold, right? You've got to be cold. You can be sensitive, you can be caring, but you have to be cold. You have to be sense, uh, selfish. And headstrong is the ability, in, in my opinion, being headstrong is the ability to not overthink things. I always say to people, when you're struggling or when you feel like you, you're losing direction, focus on the short-term goals. Too many people look at medium and long-term goals. Oh, I want to I wanna get here, but oh, I've got, you know, down here is all the short-term goals and you've got to overcome those to even get anywhere near the middle. So why are you worrying? Everyone mm. should have medium and long-term goals, but why are you worrying about those? Oh, what if that happens? What if this? Focus on what are the challenges today. And sometimes when I'm just feeling a little bit lost or that fulfillment of completing things or doing things, I will just write down 10 things when I start my day that I have to do today. And they can be so mean, right? They can be go to the gym, have a cold shower, walk the dog, like things that there's no excuse not to do. You know, you know when you get people and you say, listen, I'm not exactly an athlete, right? But I try you know when you get people say, oh, I always row with my sister. I say, Kate, you've got to get into the gym more. Oh, I haven't got time. Oh, yeah. Got, got, of course you have. It's just like we've all got time, haven't we? Get up an hour earlier. It's not like, I know it's hard. I know you're going to be more tired, but you can still do it. So, like, that's, that's just an important mindset to say that really there's no excuse. There is no excuse. And, and those things to write down, you can always get it done. Go to the shops. Oh, I need to do this. And at the end of the day, tick off everything you've done. I promise you, when you go to bed that night, you'll go, that was a good day. I made things happen. Right? Could be closing a deal. Could be making a fight. Could be selling out an arena. But it could also be going for a walk after dinner. You know, these are all things. It's just, it, it's, it's, it's the feeling of actually doing something, achieving something in a day. And those little walks, I have more and more of them now. Yeah. You know, for the well-being as well. Two hours in the morning, you know, go and have a coffee and go for a walk for two hours. I promise when you come back and you sit on the couch, you think, I just had a little two-hour walk there. You know, you might look at your little phone or your Apple Watch and say, wow, 12,000 steps. I've achieved something today. It doesn't have to be Everest. Love that. Eddie, honestly, I've absolutely loved talking to you. Thank you so much for coming on to Headstrong. Um, I wish you all the very best and uh, let's hope the 20th of August goes well. Fingers crossed, mate. And that concludes this second episode of Series 8. I want to say an absolute massive thank you to Eddie for giving me an hour of his time to chat to me. 
and I have to say it was an incredibly insightful episode. I really enjoyed talking to him and it was so easy to get on with him and I hope that you found it incredibly interesting too. Thank you again to you, the listener, for tuning in to these episodes every week and if this is your first time, please do subscribe, rate and leave a review. Until next week then, this has been Headstrong Season 8, Episode 2 with Eddie Hearn. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.